Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Green Mountain Dental Group. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, today we're talking about Arizona. Um, you know, Arizona isn't going to win the Pac-12. That's just not going to happen. But having now gone through and looked at this team, there is more to like about it than I initially expected. Um, still definitely in that bottom tier of the Pac-12, but there is some upside here, and I think that they're going to win some games and potentially be a pretty fun team. Uh, we're going to dig into that pretty quick here, but first I want to tell you about Green Mountain Dental Group. Green Mountain Dental is a family-owned dentistry out in Lakewood. It's about 15 minutes away from downtown Denver, so it's actually really convenient to get to. Um, it's family-owned. It's uh, owned by Colorado sports fans, um, and they're also a partner of ours at DMVR, and supporting our partners is supporting us. Uh, they have an awesome deal going right now um, where if you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam, you can get yourself a free Sonicare toothbrush. So make sure you take advantage of that. They're great people. They do great work. Um Lindsay, our sales director, went out there and had her wisdom teeth out a couple of months ago, and she said that it was literally the best experience she's ever had with a dentist. So take her word for it and go get yourself a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam from Green Mountain Dental Group. Okay, um, so Arizona. Um, It'd be pretty easy to look at this team and say, oh, they're going to struggle again this year. You know, they're 4-8 last year. Um, they've been one of the worst teams in the Pac-12 pretty consistently for a while now. Um, although they did make a bowl just a few years ago. Um, when was the last one? 2017. Um, Foster Farms Bowl lost to Purdue. Uh, and before that, man, 2012, 13, 14, 15. But there has been this downswing. Um, when Kevin Sumlin was hired, um, he's going into his third year now at Arizona as the head coach. When he was hired a few years ago, that looked like the great hire. Uh, it was the same time that uh, the the Arizona State was bringing in Herm Edwards, and the outside consensus was kind of that Arizona got the better end of the stick. Meanwhile, Herm Edwards has obviously been more successful Um it's also the same year Chip Kelly came to the Pac-12. Um, you know, as much as everybody talks about the Pac-12 not being 
a, a power five conference, any of that kind of stuff. I, I do think that this kind of might just be a down stretch of coaching hires. Um, when you look around the whole conference and just what's going on, there isn't a whole lot to be excited about. Now, some of that could be because um, coaches want to go somewhere other than the Pac-12 because of the reputation. But I do think that, you know, after this year, I still think that you probably won't see Kevin Sumlin back um, at Arizona in 2021. Um, I'm not sure I expect to see Clay Helton back, Chip Kelly. Um, there, there's a whole lot of names that you could run through. I mean, even going up to Washington and seeing Jimmy Lake take over for Chris Peterson, one of the good coaches that you had locked down, you know, it was kind of Chris Peterson with David Shaw and and maybe that's kind of been it running this conference for a while now. But I do expect some turnover after this year. And it could be a pretty big year because, I mean, I came up with three names. I'm sure there are a bunch of others that you could see um, fired or even leave for other reasons. You know, when we talk about Cal, we'll dig into that stuff with um, Wilcox. But... I do think that after this year, you probably don't have Kevin Sumlin. You probably don't have Clay Helton. And you probably don't have uh, the other one, whose, na- whose name I just said, but I'm forgetting. Oh, uh, Chip Kelly, of course. Um, and, and there's no guarantee that the Pac-12 is going to hit on all three of the hires after that. And in two years, those are going to be programs on the rise, exciting programs that get a whole bunch of attention. But... They've got to hit on at least one, right? Uh, and so I do think that Arizona is kind of coming to the end of an era. Um, but there are, like I was saying earlier, still some things to like. Um, coming off a of four and eight year, um, back to back four and eight years, before that, they were five and seven. Um, you lose your quarterback. Uh, you lose a running back who's gone to the NFL, J.J. Taylor, with the uh, Patriots. And you'd think that this would be a pretty dire situation. You know, to be a Power 5 team with a 4-8 and eight record and lose the two key parts of your offense, that's tough. That's definitely tough. But in looking at this team, I almost wonder if it's, Similar to a Steven Montez situation where Khalil Tate, the quarterback at Arizona, was going to be the quarterback. He was not going to be replaced. Even when Grant Gannell came in and looked better, it was still like this weird split that was going on with Arizona. And I I think that in some ways, just a change can be worth it. Because obviously what was working at Arizona I mean, wasn't working. What was happening wasn't working. And the same thing was happening at Colorado with Steven. I don't think that it was impossible to win with Steven, but it might have been impossible to win the way the coaching staffs wanted to win with the other pieces around him, with whatever culture in play. I, I don't know. Whatever happened didn't work, but you weren't going to be able to bench Steven Montez um, because he'd kind of earned that spot and he had grown into that spot. And you don't let somebody start for two and a half years, two years, and, and then bench him before his senior year. You know, it's um, it's just kind of a tough situation. And what made it less tough for the Buffs is that there really wasn't much of an alternative. Um, last year, Tyler Lytle or Blake Stenstrom, for whatever reason, 
you know, we think back to, uh, oh, what game was that? It wasn't Oregon because I was there. It was a game I was watching on TV. Um, there were only a couple of those. Whichever one that Colorado was kind of getting beat down in where they didn't put the uh, backups in. They just kind of let Stevens sit in that mess. You'd think that you would want to develop those younger guys underneath him, but if you're not, then there's got to be a reason for it, and that reason has to be that they just weren't ready. Um, this has been a long tangent, but I do think that just moving on from Khalil Tate, who was so up and down, who could go out and win you a game that you shouldn't win, but then go lose you a game that you shouldn't lose, that's not how you find success in college football. You need consistency, even though, similar to Steven, it's tough to sit a Khalil Tate who's had the 300-yard rushing games and 300-yard passing games and has been so important in a couple of upsets so while you're definitely losing an experienced quarterback who's a a real playmaker I'm not all that upset about it if I'm an Arizona fan Um, and one of the reasons why is Grant Gannell he looked pretty pretty good uh, when he was playing um, last year it started with injury and then this weird arm split thing um, for those of you who, who didn't watch much of Arizona last year, um, first of all, that's probably the right decision. Grant Cannell's a big guy. He was a true freshman last year, comes back as a sophomore this year, 6'6", 225, big arm, surprisingly mobile for how big his arm is and how big he is. Um, you know, you look through all of the pro football focus stats, and they have him as one of the best deep ball throwers in the Pac-12 Um I think like fourth out of 20 qualified passers, maybe even higher than that. Um, But with a smaller sample size, and as you run through everything that Grant Gannell did last year, the sample size is always the question. You know, he only threw one interception, nine to one, nine touchdowns, one interception is pretty good. But when you expand that volume up, to a full season where you have to put the team on your back and throw a bunch of passes, what happens? And that's kind of the next step for Grant Cannell is proving that something good happens. Um, Because last year in the, I think he appeared in like six or seven games, something like that. He was most efficient in the games where he had the fewest dropbacks, the fewest passing attempts. And You know, that's not what you want to see, but it is kind of what you expect to see. Uh, That when you bring him in and let him throw the ball six, seven times, those six, seven times, he should be able to beat the defense that isn't ready for it. But when he's out there, play after play after play, what happens? Um, You know, he was also one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 when he took over two and a half seconds to throw the ball. Um you compare his numbers there with the numbers of anybody else. I mean, again, he was top three, I think, in right near number one. Um, and, you know, the the pressure numbers were similar too. Um, very good when there was no pressure. Not all that good when there was pressure. Very good when he wasn't blitzed. Not great when he was blitzed. And that's kind of what it's going to come down to because none of those things are surprising for a freshman quarterback. The question is just where does he go from here? Does he improve and get better? Or is he this guy for the next three years who has all of the tools but doesn't put things together the way that you need him to? Um, 
you know, I, I think that right now uh, he's probably a better option at quarterback than Khalil Tate was. Um, I'm not like super confident in that take, but if I had to pick a quarterback to go start a game for me tomorrow, I, I think that I would take Gunnell over Khalil Tate. Um, and so losing that starting quarterback may not be quite as bad as it looked. You know, the running back too, though, losing J.J. Taylor, who his, his numbers went down a little bit last year, but in 2018 he ran for uh, 1434 yards, 5.6 yards per carry. That's really good production, and that's tough to replace. But there was, uh, I don't know. I think the offense was just kind of worse. I'm not sure what the total rushing yards were from season to season, um, but things fell off last year. Um, his numbers were cut in half. He was still the leading back. Um, attempts dropped as well. You know, it's tough to replace a JJ Taylor, but. Arizona is in a pretty good situation considering what they're losing. Um, the drop-off isn't as steep as you would probably expect when you lose a running back who ran for 1,400 yards and is now playing for the New England Patriots. Um, Gary Brightwell is a senior. He's been the number two running back for the last two years. Uh, behind J.J. Taylor, 6'1", 210, a bigger back, not the little shifty guy. And they've pretty much used him as a bruiser. Um, last year, he ran the ball 66 times. 33 of those, exactly half, were runs into the A-gaps. Um, just straight up the middle. And he did well. You know, he put up four and a half, maybe, yards for carry on those runs. He's a good running back. Um, the more advanced stats that Pro Football Focus has, um, they they like him. Um, he was 12th out of 37 running backs in 15-yard runs um, in the Pac-12, 37 qualified running backs. Um, the crazy part about that is that there are actually two Arizona running backs who finished first and second in terms of like, it's just like the rate of getting 15-yard runs. Um because there is more than just Gary there. There are a couple guys behind him who are the shiftier type, the the lightning that goes with the thunder. Um, but even with just Gary Brightwell, I think that you could, I mean, you could do a lot worse. Um, of those 37 running backs, he was number four in the elusiveness rating, which is just basically like measuring forced tackles and touches and yards after contact per attempt. Um, again, 37 qualified running backs. He was number four in the Pac-12. Um for just for perspective, I pulled this too when I was looking. Um, he had a 124.2 elusiveness rating. Visca had 122.8, so like a one and a half point difference. Um, just to kind of tell you what kind of runner he is. And so I think that this is what surprised me most looking through Arizona is that their quarterback situation, there is more to like than I realized when I watched Grant Cannell last year. Um, there's there's more to like about the running back situation. Um, the the offensive line, four starters are coming back. Um, I think I think it's four. Uh, yeah. Um, Donovan Lie, real good football player. Um, you know the crazy thing is though, you look through this team. 
and you just don't see anybody who's going to get drafted. Last year, Arizona was the only team in the Pac-12 that didn't have a player drafted. I'm not sure who on this roster is going to get drafted. I mean, you know, Grant Gannell, if, if things go the way I think they'll go for him, he's going to get drafted, but not this year. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Gary Brightwell, I guess, would be where you'd probably have to look. Uh, maybe the, one of these offensive linemen goes off, but him finally having a big season because the year that J.J. Taylor put 1,400 yards, Gary put up uh, 525 on 5.8 yards per carry. You know, he, he still looked good back then as a sophomore as well. Um, there is more upside with Gary Brightwell than I, I realized before coming into this. Um, but again, just not a lot of elite talent anywhere. You look at the receivers, they should be better this year. They lost their top four heading into last year. <sighs> you know, their, their number one receiver was actually um, a quarterback until he switched positions because they were so desperate for receivers. He went on to lead the team in receiving yards. Um, he's still there, Jamari Joyner. Um, they lose their number two. Um, but they bring back Brian Castile, Tavian Cunningham, um, and, and pretty much everybody down the list from there. So it should be a better group. They also brought in Brendan Schooler, who is a grad transfer from Oregon. You guys might remember. Um, and so that should be a better group as well. You look through this whole offense, and it's pretty easy to say it will be better this year, even though you do have a young quarterback that you're relying on and a running back who you just haven't seen all that much from. Um, defensively, I, you know, this is probably where the problems are going to come from. Um, maybe a little bit of upside, but not really. They lose a couple of really good DBs. I, a couple of good DBs, um, not huge losses. I mean, you just got to see if they can piece it together. What you really like, I guess, are the linebackers. Um, you know, Colin Schooler has been one of the best in the Pac-12 over the last couple of years. Uh, he's in the inside with Tony Fields. Um, they combined for like 192 tackles last year. They'll do something similar again this year. Uh, Jalen Harris is playing outside linebacker, had three sacks a couple years ago, four sacks last year. Um, this year he should probably progress as a junior. Um, the big brother of Jason Harris, the Buffs freshman outside linebacker. Um you know, that that is maybe the best group on the team, honestly. It has to be those linebackers. Um, defensive line, though, nothing special going on there. Secondary, Lorenzo Burns, the senior cornerback, uh, a little bit undersized. Not somebody you're not throwing at, you know. He's, he's not somebody who you look at and say, okay, time to change the game plan. You really just don't have those guys on the defense because even with the inside linebackers being as good as they are in that 3-4, that's not really something you spend too much time talking about game planning. Like Whatever any team's base game plan is, I bet that's what they use against Arizona unless you start to see like the secondary just doesn't have it. Like They can't even hold their own water. You know, you can just attack them because they are so weak. Maybe you see teams start throwing at them. Um, but yeah, uh, that's Arizona. That's what you need to know about Arizona. I do think that like there's there's more to like about this team than I expected. Not the most talented. Not a coach who I'm super excited about. Um, 
bringing back seven starters on offense and on defense. I mean, they're in that bottom tier of the Pac-12. Maybe they could surprise some people. And See, I just don't see them. When you look through the Pac-12 South, like you have USC, that talent will beat Arizona no matter what. That's that's just what's going to happen. It'll be frustrating for Arizona because they can go out there and play a super clean game and, and maximize their assets or whatever and still go lose to USC just because USC is bigger, faster, stronger. Arizona State has Jaden Daniels, who is going to put up a lot of points and is going to put the pressure on Grant Cannell, who is also a sophomore. And I, I like those duels are going to be Jaden Daniels. And then you look at the talent around these guys, and you have to like Arizona State's better. Utah. That defense, I guess maybe that's where Arizona could take a jump and be better than Utah, but I just don't see it. You know, that is just such a well-run program that when you talk about, you know, Arizona-USC, Arizona could just out-execute USC and USC still wins. That's not true of Utah, but what's true of Utah is that they are going to out-execute you. You know, that's just what they do. Um, But then when you get down to the UCLA and Colorado schools, I I think that those three spots at the bottom are going to be a toss-up. You know, maybe maybe one of those teams beats the other two, but one of the other two pulls an upset uh, over uh, Arizona State. Jaden Daniels as a sophomore has an off day. You know, Keaton Slovis has an off day, throws some late picks. I still don't think. I think USC just has to beat these lower and Pac-12 South teams. So, yeah. Um, Arizona, more watchable than I probably would have anticipated but you know here we are back to all football um before we move along i want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at breckenridge brewery breck is incredible um they make so many good beers from the avalanche amber ale to the like uh vanilla porter jr the Colorado Core. It's weird how much trouble that I've been having remembering names of beers. I guess I, I haven't been drinking all that much, I guess, now that the playoff run is over. It's basically that tailgate show every Sunday morning. They get a couple of shots of tequila in me and then laugh at me for the last half hour of it. And that's kind of it for my week. Um, I need some more Breckenridge beers, though, especially because it is the end of the summer. Um, just more strawberry skies. Maybe that's what I'll do. Tonight, I'm pretty much free, which is so nice. Tomorrow is like, I don't know. I'm not free tomorrow. I'm going to have fun watching college football tomorrow, but my job means I have to wake up and start watching football at 10 and then stop at the other 10. And so maybe I'll drink some beers tomorrow and then uh, NFL Sunday. So yeah, Um, when I do drink those beers that I am now realizing how badly I want them... um, I think I'm going to go for that Strawberry Sky. This is the perfect time of year for Strawberry Sky because it just makes you feel like you're maximizing the end of summer um, because it is such a good summer beer. Um, if you want to try it, you can go to the DMVR bar. You can go to the farmhouse down in Littleton. Um, that's where they brew all their beer. That's also an awesome restaurant. Like, it's just so good. Um, it's open outside for, like, safe, um, socially distanced eating uh, and I just really recommend that place. Um, or of course you can go to like Costco King Supers, wherever to pick some up. 
Uh, you can use the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website to figure out where exactly you can pick up whatever Breckenridge beer it is that you do want to try. Week three of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four. There's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of Week 4, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. That's right. You can place a $1 bet on any team, and if that team wins, you cash a cool Benjamin. How could you pass that up? Don't worry if football isn't for you, because DraftKings is giving all you basketball fans a 200% profit boost on any basketball market once you sign up. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during week four, bet $1 on them, and win $100 if they win. That's $1 to win $100 when you use promo code DNVR during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Profit boost, terms and conditions, and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, uh, before we wrap up the uh, last podcast of the week... Um, wow. When I say that though, I think we need to talk more about college football. Like there's too much college football tomorrow to not spend more time on. I guess we talked about a little bit yesterday with the DraftKings pick of the week. Um, maybe we can circle back later. Maybe I can circle back and just at least have like a couple of games I'm going to be watching. I guess I kind of did that with the pick of the week. I don't know. Uh, but we need to jump into these running backs. It's time. Um, where see and this is what always happens is i'm like okay talk about the running backs you have all your numbers you have all that kind of stuff but i don't really know where to start i think that where you have to start when you talk about these running backs is with alex fontenot he's proven if he is your running back and you're a pac-12 football team you're you can be happy i don't know that you're necessarily like thrilled it's not somebody who you look at and say okay uh I hope he doesn't have a huge year because then he'd leave early for the draft because that isn't the position that he's in right now. The position that he's in is coming back um, after really showing up when given the opportunity last year in his sophomore season. Now he's a junior. Now he has a chance to build on his situation. You know, these are young guys. And that's something that if you spend more time watching the NFL, first of all, then I don't know what you're doing, just tuning in for this random buffs podcast four weeks before the season starts. But it's it's different in that running backs really can develop more in these first few years than I feel like I usually anticipate. You know, Alex Fontenot really does have a chance to be a good Pac-12 running back. Like like a guy who does get a shot at the NFL when his time at CU comes to an end. With all the weird stuff going on, though, you know, he's a junior this year, but he may as well be a sophomore in terms of his eligibility because this year doesn't count. 
he can come back and he could have three more years with the Buffs, which is just crazy to think about. Um, yeah, because it's almost like last year he was like a, a, a freshman instead of a sophomore, which he, he wasn't. So I don't know. I guess when we're talking about how much running backs can develop at the college level, how much more can they develop given one more year? You know, I don't necessarily think that this is a position where you see the most growth. Um, you know, quarterbacks coming back, every bit of experience is just so huge for them. Um, you know, tight ends, guys who can grow into their body a little bit more, have one more year where they really are at the peak of their abilities. I mean, we, we talked about Visca. Visca could have come back and played this year under normal circumstances. And if he had come back, I mean, we see what he can do to the NFL. He would be ripping the Pac-12 apart, you know, assuming health and all of that kind of stuff. He does have an, another gear. And, you know, if he had decided to come back for a senior year, then who knows? Maybe he would come back for a second senior year and play next year as well. Just crazy to think about. But getting back to these running backs, you know, Alex Fontenot is going to be the number one. Um, until somebody steals that job from him. And it's going to have to be pretty clear because he has earned this position. He was, I mean, the the focal point, really, of the offense last year. You know, you talk about yards from scrimmage. Um, he had 874 rushing yards. He had another 122 passing yards. So that's 996, just under 1,000 yards for scrimmage. I don't even know who was second. Oh, wow. I guess some of these numbers are bigger than I expected. Visca had 764 receiving yards last year. It didn't feel like he had that many just because he sat out so many games. But, yeah, Tony Brown behind with 707. KD, 465. Jaron Mangum had 441 rushing yards. Um, so it is important to remember that he did have 200 more yards from scrimmage than anybody else on this offense as a sophomore. And now he's coming back as a junior. You should expect some sort of development. I don't know where we'll see it. Um, you know, I guess maybe we could do some sleuthing and see if the weight has changed on the uh, Buffs website. I just uh, paused the recording and went and checked. Still six foot 195, as you'd probably expect. But, you know... There there could be changes to his game, and I think that's where you have to start when you think about Alex Fontenot and these running backs. But he's the number one. Um, behind him, I think you have to look at Jaron Mangum as the guy who will be in this rotation, in my mind. Um, you know, we've been going back to these pro football focus advanced stats and all that kind of stuff quite a bit. But those numbers really aren't kind to uh, Jaron. We talked about like the elusiveness numbers when we're talking about Arizona. In that same rating, uh, those 37 running backs who had at least 20 carries, uh, Deion Smith finished 32nd, and Jaron Mangum finished 31st. That's in that bottom tier. And Jaron does need to get better, you know. For him being that bigger back, the guy who can run guys over, 
you should expect it to take a couple of years for him to really put on all the size he needs. And, you know, I've talked about this on the show too, but Deion Smith, he put on, I think, 15 pounds of muscle within like the first three months of the end of the season. You know, he's coming back bigger. I'd expect Jaron to come back bigger as well. And that should help him break a couple more of these tackles and at least get up into the middle tier. In case you're wondering, Alex Fontenot finished 19th out of the 37 right in the middle. Um, I wonder how many tackles they have him credited for. 43 in the rushing game, 3 in the receiving game. Um, where did... There he is. Jaron had uh, 16 tackles that he forced to miss. <laughs> in the uh, running game, two in the passing game. In uh, the the breakaway stats, the percentage of yards that count as breakaways, which is 15 yards or more, um, the numbers aren't any more favorable for Jaron. You know, 37 again qualified. He ranked 36th in percentage of runs to go for at least 15 yards. And, you know, that's not his game. He's not somebody who you'd expect to be getting a whole bunch of those runs doesn't mean you can't ask for just a little bit more. Um, Alex Fontenot, Deion Smith, the other two running backs who qualified. Fontenot was 21. Smith was 22. So, yeah, th- there you go. Those are what the numbers have to say. Um, it's not great stuff. It's definitely not overly inspiring looking at all these advanced numbers. But, you know... It's a young backfield, and those two will develop. Those three, with Dion being the other guy who got significant touches, eh, barely significant touches. Like, he barely cleared that 20 rushing attempt threshold. Um, but with those three getting another year on their be- under their belt, getting back Jarek Broussard, you know, adding Joe Davis to the mix in, in his, what, now, is he a junior this year? No, sophomore. So so just so many of these young guys, and of course, Ashad Clayton joining the mix as well. And he is just a total wild card. Um, you sh- I'm excited about him. You should be excited about him. I don't want to like decrease the hype around Ashad Clayton, but we still just need to see it before we can say that he will be a, a real part of this rotation. You know, I think... I would be really surprised if he isn't part of the rotation. I will say that. I do think that there will probably be three backs. I think there will probably be uh, Alex, Jaron, and Ashad. But Ashad is still a question mark. And I think that that is really important to remember. Even though there's so much to like, it, what? He he averaged 225, 230 rushing yards per game in the Louisiana top-level playoffs last year. Averaged over 10 yards per carry during that stretch. Put up something like, I think it might have been three touchdowns per game. Just absurd numbers. Carried his team to a state championship game with those numbers. And, you know, he shouldn't have come to Colorado. He shouldn't have. You know, he tore that, I think it was, was it meniscus or MCL? One or the other during the spring before his senior season in high school. And at that point, he was getting looks from a whole bunch of really big schools, the big names. Um... LSU, being in Louisiana, had a huge leg up. They pulled his offer when he tore his knee up. And they came and circled around and gave it back. 
but it wasn't until after he had gone through that whole rehab process and then started the season slow. I think he missed the first couple of games, slowly worked his way from five touches a game to 10 touches in the next game to 10 again to 10 again to 15, and eventually, like, late in the season, beginning of the playoffs, he's getting his full workload as a running back at like right around 20, 25, 30 in there. That's when LSU swoops back in and says, okay, we want you. We can give you a scholarship. And Colorado's lucky that he said, no, you guys didn't stand by me like CU did, so I'm going to Colorado. It worked out. The Buffs got themselves a player they shouldn't get. There's no guarantee that that player will be good as a... Sorry, I just got a weird notification. This potty mouth parrots and salt zoo visitors... That's a that is a weird news story. I'm gonna have to click, but not right now. Talking about Shad Clayton, you know, they're going to give him opportunities. They're going to give him opportunities, and you just have to hope that he takes advantage of them early on. And I think he will. But he's a freshman playing Power Five football, so you do have to pump the brakes. My guess would be that by the end of the season, it's a Pretty close to a 50-50 split between him and Fontenot with Mangum picking up the scraps and maybe being used situationally if he does come back bigger and stronger and ready to run guys over. Um, you know, maybe maybe he's the Visca replacement in those Wildcat sets when you need to pick up one yard. It's possible. You know, it's easy to justify taking a quarterback off the field Um Really easy to justify taking quarterback off the field when the defense knows you're going to run the ball. Um, it's even easier to do if that quarterback isn't effective and on third and one and fourth and one, the defense is sure you will not be throwing the ball. That's another scenario that the Buffs really could live through. So we'll see. We'll see how this all shakes out. Um, you know, I, I just because I haven't mentioned this yet, I really like Dion and kind of Joe Davis as well. Joe Davis can break some big ones. Um, but Dion in particular as a receiving threat, because that's what's missing. Um, you just don't have any real receiving threats for running backs right now. Um, looking through the pro football focus receiving grades, just because it's interesting. Um, same three qualified, 66 rating for Dion, 62.6 for Jaron, 62 flat for Alex. You know, it's... It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. Um, this might be more interesting because I really just don't like the pro football focus grades. I like all the real like stats that they calculate. But Dion uh, had a 95.8 passer rating, or the quarterbacks did when they threw to him. Um, 82 for Alex Fontenot, 74 for Mangum. So I, for the first time, I've had numbers that can back up what I've said. Um how many catches they have yet? Yeah, I mean, four targets for Dion, 33 for Fontenot, 14 for Mangum. So it's not like it's nearly a big enough sample size, but it, it, it does validate my eye test that he could be that guy. Maybe coming back, putting on some weight, he can be a little more physical in the receiving game. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. And that's what this all comes down to is waiting and seeing at this point. Um, that's going to do it for today. Uh, I'll be back. Monday with another DMVR Buffs podcast. What are we going to talk about? Um, I haven't decided whether we'll come back and do a like Colorado team 
thing the way we've done the other teams. We kind of go so in-depth that I don't know if it'd be worth it. Uh, otherwise, we got to flip over to the Pac-12 North and probably start at the top with Oregon. Um, so that's a fun talk. That'll be a fun talk for sure. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, leave five-star reviews, subscribe, all that kind of stuff really does help us out. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you guys Monday. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. Man, I swear, I think they like my my Colorado swag yeah. is pushing 180. Speed and see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And boat is where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey. Hey. you on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it anytime. Yeah. It started at the scrimmage, we gon' win it at the last. Yeah. My Colorado swag in the middle of the ring. ring. Throwing blows, knocking down team at the I team. They like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Get a bus with my Colorado sway, my Colorado sway, my Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway, my Colorado sway, my Colorado sway. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado sway. Have you ever seen a ram?